Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. I'm Ben James, that's Matt Southcombe. Good afternoon, Benjamin. How Good are afternoon. we? Not too bad. On our own again, we've been snubbed. No, no Andy Howell. Andy Howell, working from the Cross Keys office today. Shout out. Hope you're well, son. Is that where he is? Yeah. Don't worry, mate. We'll hold it down. We'll hold it down for the fans. Um, we'll better get into it, mate. We better add. There's been a development today in the Wales squad. Uh, I mean, at the start of the day, we were pretty excited about whatever injury news was going to come out, and it turns out that um, Jared Evans, who had been training with the squad, is now part of the squad. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of it's kind of how we expected it to go. I think um, I don't think anybody was expecting Reese Patchell to be ruled out of the Scotland game with well over a week to go. Um, Jared Evans is like you said he was named he wasn't named in the initial squad but was there as cover um, now he's been officially called up um, whether or not if the Blues were playing at home this weekend would they have called him up perhaps not but you know the, if they didn't call him up then the Blues may have asked for him to jump on a flight to South Africa obviously they've got a game out there this weekend so you know that you know if the Blues were at home it might have changed the dynamics of that situation because they're clearly not writing Patchell off yet, um, but they they don't they don't really know how his condition is going to develop over the next sort of ten days or so. So they need that cover because obviously with the game outside the international window, Dan Bigger's not available, um, and they obviously don't want to be caught short with Gareth Anscombe being the only fit fit outside half. So Absolutely. you know it's perhaps how we we might have expected that sort of situation to develop. Um, but it is interesting, like I said to you on the last podcast, I expected, I was a little bit surprised that he was the man who they turned to for cover, um, not because he's not been playing great rugby, but I just felt that um, Priestland might have been their man, but as it turns out, Priestland's got a knock himself, so he's not fit um, for the next few weeks, so, you know, like I said to you before, I thought perhaps maybe a bit early for Jared Evans, but boy's absolute class, so is, yeah. let's wait and see what happens, that said. Anscombe probably the man to start against Scotland you feel now wouldn't you oh yeah you, de- you definitely assume that Anscombe is if he wasn't already in the driving seat because you'd probably say on form anyway he was but the uncertainty uncertainty around uh, Patchell and then the fact that they've drifted Jared Evans into the squad yeah it just makes you think that that, that 10 jersey against Scotland is, is definitely Gareth Anscombe yeah. the interesting thing maybe is how, how long do we see Jared Evans being part of the squad do you think it, it is for the duration of the autumn or could it just be for Scotland and then he it's, it's difficult I mean they've, they've, they've called him up now um, you don't want to mess mess a player around too much um, you know he's, he's part of the part of the squad um, you know, it's probably not that disruptive if they do release him you know they, they train at the same yeah. facility you know come on how, how bad can it be but um, you know Wales have been accused in the past of messing around players like Sam Davis um, they're very conscious of not doing the same with Jared Evans you know a lot of people have talked about how careful they need to be including um, people you know myself on this podcast Andy said it although I think Andy's more of the uh, persuasion to just chuck him in and, just chuck him in over the bit you know, which, is, which is fair enough as well um, but yeah you've got to be careful you don't want to mess him around too much so I mean, he's in the squad. He's going to benefit from the experience of just being around the squad anyway. Definitely. Um, we, like we said, we know he's quality. We know he's got a future, you know, at this level. Um, 
So my opinion is if, if Patchell isn't fit fully fit by the end of the week, they'll go with Anscombe to start and Jared Evans will be on the bench. Um, you know, they won't take risks with Patchell. There's no need to do that. Um, so there's every chance that Jared Evans could be making his Wales debut against Scotland, but we wait and see. Exciting, huh? it could be a, could, could be an exciting clash of two young tens. Could be, yeah. Adam Boy, Hastings, Hastings involved, yeah. Because Finn Russell's in France, and you know, Hastings. We might get onto that in a bit from the weekend, but he, yeah, he, he looked good. impressive again. Yeah. Um, the other change for Wales is that Bradley Davis has been released. Yes, um, the knee. He's got a he's got a knee problem. It was very. It was a bit of a wordy. Wordy part of the statement from the WIU, but the crux of it is is a knee issue. I think knee, knee pathology was it? Some some it was far beyond my uh, my medical reach. Anyway, um, but yeah, so he's out with a knee issue. Um, they've released him. Decided that's the best course of action. Leaves them. They haven't called anyone up in his place at the moment, so it leaves them with four locks. But I mean, you look at the boys. They've got left Jake Ball, Alan Wynn, Corey Hill, Adam Beard. You know that's. That's a quality contingent of logs there. All arguably ahead of him in the pecking order, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to know how they saw Bradley Davis anyway, Wales, in terms of the World Cup picture. Obviously a guy who they can rely on and and has produced many times at at the top, top level. Um, Whether they saw him among the top sort of four or five candidates, you know, remains to be seen. But, like, like if you focus on the four who are there now... um, you wouldn't worry about any of those guys starting. Obviously, um, you know Adam Beard was was a real revelation on the summer tour. Um, proved that he has got a future at this level. Um, so you know you wouldn't worry about checking him in. And the other three, I mean, you know Corey Hill. Now he's he's established. He's you know he is that that sort of international caliber of player. So. Um, and you know you don't need to say anything about Alan Wynn and Jake Ball is obviously quality as well so you know it doesn't leave Wales in much of a hole um, and they may yet call somebody in if they feel they need to but it was a 37 man squad anyway Um, you know we wait and see how it goes unfortunately there'll be knocks along the way but you know that that, that, those four second rows there you know more than happy with those guys just to to carry the load I suppose the only interesting thing is maybe that combined with the the sort of the lack of numbers in the back row. Yeah, Corey Hill is effectively already a sort of back row cover option, isn't he? Potentially. I mean, I wouldn't. I, I, I give me shivers when you start talking about second rows playing in the back row. Yeah. Um, I'm yet to to really see it come off. Um, you know, Alan Wynn has played in the back row as well. Uh, I'm sure he did it for the Ospreys in the last few seasons, if I remember rightly, but. You know, I, I I wouldn't get into those waters just yet. Um, the back row stocks uh, are fine as they are. I mean, it's interesting to see what they do uh, for the game coming up. You obviously got Moriarty, who's the out and out number eight in the back row. Um, you could go with, you know, it depends how they want to do it. You could go with the two open side boys. Um, Aaron Wainwright is going to be someone who needs more exposure at this level, so now's the best time for that. And um, do they give Dan Lydiot the chance to to show he can still do it on the, on the uh, absolute top stage? So, yeah, I think they're well well stocked in the back row before we start talking about any of those chaps filling in further back. Yeah, speaking of the back row, mm. um, there was one player in the injury update update today who mm. was absent from it. No, yeah, and that's that's a good thing. Yes, that's Ellis. Yeah, Ellis Jenkins wasn't part of the uh, 
the injury update press release that came out at midday. Um, there's more coming out uh, at three o'clock this afternoon after we finish this podcast. So uh, there may be um, an update on his situation there. But yeah, like you said, he wasn't in the initial one, which seems to suggest that there's nothing nothing too serious to worry about there. Um, it would have been interesting to see what happened because obviously he went off with a shoulder knock against Glasgow. Um, so it would have been interesting to see how they went uh, if they were going to have to replace him. But for the time being, he's he's still in camp and he looked relatively okay during the, uh, the headshots. Yeah, he looked alright during the headshots. The Blues played it down as well um, after the match. Said it wasn't something they thought um, that was going to keep him out of action. So you know they may have to monitor him a little bit this week. But so far, there's no um, no bad news there. So uh, some from from LS, we'll move on to another open side flanker, one who's recently retired. Mm. That's uh, Sam Warburton, and you had you had a little chance to spend a little time and sit down with him yesterday. Yeah, I had a chat with um, Sam yesterday um, over at the Arms Park. He was doing some work at a BT Sport event. Um, obviously, that's part of his life now. Um, we all know he's um, he's doing a lot of punditry work now and. I think a lot of people will agree that he's doing a, a fine job of it. Um, doesn't come naturally to all ex-players, of course, but it doesn't come naturally to all journalists. But yeah, no, he's doing a great job of that. And yeah, we just had a chat about how he's adjusting to um, to his life after rugby. It's been three months now since he um, since he retired, and uh, I think he um, it was something he found quite difficult to adjust to at first. He was. Um, Still training quite regularly, and he said he was packing his kit bag the night before, still taking all the supplements and counting his calories and things like that. There's a great line in there where he talks about from the age of 15, he said he was always felt guilty having a chocolate bar, and he picked the chocolate bar out of the cupboard recently and stopped himself doing it, and then thought, hang on, why have I why have I got to not have it anymore? And then and then he ate it, so Oof. you can he's now eating chocolate bars guilt free. So slippery slope, that. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just, I don't think there's any danger of Sam Warbler and slipping down quite as far as myself and you, Benjamin. I've been, but, I've been eating chocolate bars guilt free for a long time, and it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not done me too well. Yeah, no, but yeah, it was a great chat, and obviously that, that interview's up on Wales Online now. We touched on the punditry as well, um, and he's just just seems really happy with life at the moment. He's spending a lot of time with his two year old daughter. And um, yeah, just the overriding sort of sense I got from him was that he's just absolutely content with life. And you know, you talk about whether or not he regrets the decision. I don't think he he necessarily does right now. And you know, like he's got freedom that he never had before in terms of being able to do things with his week. And he seems absolutely happy with with where he's at. So you know, it's good to see. That's the important thing, isn't it? I think you know. He was he was a test animal, wasn't he? he? He was built for these sort of five, six match blocks. But mm. then, yeah. as much as you get the adulation of that, there's there's a lot of time in between where his body was in breakdown because of it. So I think, you know, yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know, he's he had his knocks. Um, yeah, that's obviously well documented. We all know that. Um, but you mentioned test animal, like you know, everyone accepts he had a few injuries. But when you talk about test animals. Nobody can argue that he wasn't in unbelievable shape, you know, physique-wise, absolute monster. And he said, when I spoke to him, he's lost a stone already. Um, he's still training heavily, but now he's, he wanted to lose the weight that he had to keep on for rugby. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's interesting to see he's losing, he's lost a bit of weight, you know. So, and, and yeah, like you say, he's not waking up sore in the mornings now, and, you know, which is obviously a nice bonus for that's him. Always and, bit, that's always a bonus. Always a bonus, yeah. So no, it was good, good to catch up with him, and that 
That interview's on Wales Online. If you look, all you guys want to go out and read it, then it's definitely it's worth, it's worth a read. I'll say that, not just as a colleague and a friend, but uh, <laughs> as a reader. Um, so yeah, we'll move on to last weekend's action. Um, I feel like there's one one place to start. One place to start. Yeah, uh, that's the Arms Park on Sunday. Um, <laughs> yeah, the kit clash. Yeah, Blues against uh, Cardiff Blues against Glasgow. Um, who was who? Yeah, well, that, that was it. I mean, obviously, people watching on TV had trouble. Journalists had trouble. Referees had trouble. Players had trouble. Yeah, I think everybody had a bit of trouble. <laughs> um, yeah. Just to give a bit of background and try to dig around to find out what, what goes on here. Um, so basically, all the teams have to submit a physical version of their kits um, by a certain point to the tournament organisers. And then the organisers sit down, look at the kits and decide on which kits need to be worn by each team in every pool match. That's then communicated to the teams via um, like an email that only has the um, sort of CAD designs of the kits. Yeah. So it's not a physical version of the kit that gets sent out. And if you actually look at the two CAD designs for the Glasgow and Cardiff Blues European kits, it doesn't seem to be an initial problem because the Blues grey kit actually looks quite dark. But obviously, when you consider all the factors that came in, a lot was going on about the sun, the glare from the sun as well, off the pitch. Um, there was obviously an issue. Um, this wasn't picked up by anyone at the ground until Glasgow got changed into their kit, basically a few minutes before kickoff. Um, the Blues didn't have a second kit on hand. They would have had to have gone back to the Vale, um, which is a pretty much half-hour, 40-minute round trip to get the kit and then the kit would have had to have been printed up with the right logos on it with numbers on it etc etc it wasn't feasible for the Blues to do that it would not have been done in time um, not even in time for half time so they, they had to plough on with with you know less you know it's, it's been called farcical Anscombe called it a disgrace um, you know it's difficult to, to disagree with it it is um, you know a couple of couple of things to take away from it one great kits never a good idea <laughs> yeah. and I think was it 2007 World Cup um, New Zealand against Scotland in the pool stage mm. I think Scotland wore their blue kit and New Zealand wore a sort of farcical grey away kit and that was a similar story yeah they had that grey silver kit didn't they in, the, uh, in that World Cup it's, ironically there was another kit clash as well Bordeaux against Perpignan uh, last weekend was delayed by 15 minutes Um Bordeaux had to change their kit. I don't know what the situation was there, but they obviously had another set on hand. Um, I guess the the lesson from this is that teams are going to have to just take two kits to matches. This is a, you know professional teams. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't point the finger at the teams here because they were just doing as they were told. Um, as I said, you know, they, I suppose they trust that the organisers will pick the right the right kits and you know ensure there's no clash, but. I guess the the learning here is that teams are going to have to take two kits with them. A lot of people are suggesting to go down the American model in the NFL and the NHL that the away kits are all white and then there's no clash. So every time you play away, you wear a white kit. That's what people are telling me. I don't know if I'm I'm taking people on their word there. You're looking at me like I've got two heads. No, that's an interesting one, yeah. I'm I'm racking my brains trying to think. I take a vague interest in NFL. I can't say I take an interest in NHL, but... I can't think of anything to contradict that, but it's a good it's a good theory, um, you know. If but even if Glasgow had worn their white kit yesterday, 
but still, would have, I don't think that would have made a difference. I mean, the best the best thing to do with those two teams for me is for Glasgow to wear black and the Blues to wear white, yeah. the white away kit. But you know, maybe that's too much common sense. But I think the lesson from from all this is that teams are just going to have to turn up with two kits. Surely that's not too much trouble. No, maybe maybe it's also the time that we sort of scrapped European kits. Possibly for being being cynical, it's just it's just a sort of an excuse to make yeah more money, and especially with you know the blue, it's a it's a nice enough kit, but when you go for a grey kit, it's that sort of it's sort of too dis. It's similar to most sort of other kits. The grey, you, you know, grey kits have always caused the problems. You look at you know Man United against Southampton back in the nineties when they wanted, they took it off at half time. Connacht's European kit is grey. That's you know, there's no there's no point of difference, and it it just it it causes situations like this. You know, when you add, to be fair, the the Blues have had a European kit for now what five years? Yeah, they've had one for a long time, haven't they? They've had one. I'd suggest it goes back further than that. They they started coming into fashion, didn't they? Yeah. Um, I guess initially, the decision, as it's been described to me a lot of the times, has been that if clubs feel like they can sell enough. European kits or enough of a third kit to warrant the manufacturing of it, then they'll they do it. Um, a lot, of, a lot of teams, as as the Blues have done in the past, obviously have used them um, for charity purposes, uh, which is obviously great. You know, they put put some of the money towards various charities. Um, obviously, the Blues did it with Owen Williams. Uh, so you know, I mean, like the, the like, so a lot of teams don't have European kits, and it comes back to what I said at the start. You know, it's it's just whether or not they feel like they can sell enough to make it worthwhile. Um, I don't have an issue with it, but I, you know, we, you, obviously you can't have these kit clashes. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just going to devalue things. You think back over the Blues European kits you've had. Mm. So the last five years they've had uh, yellow and blue. Mm. Stay strong for O's, which is distinctive. They have that like camouflage kind of vibe going on back when they won the Amlin. Yeah, they had. That, they had a, a lime green one. Yeah. So it's always they've always been quite distinctive there. kits. Yeah. And I, I remember a few, a few years ago, the Scarlets used to have a European kit, which was the the old sort of scarlet and chocolate brown sort of check pattern. Yeah. The Ospreys have got their. The Ospreys have had some wild ones, and they've got one at the minute, which is the sort of yeah. I don't know, I don't know how you would describe it again. It's a bit of camo-y kind of inverted zebra. Yeah, um, maybe. Yeah, but they're all they're all quite distinctive, and that's the problem. Maybe with this blues one is at the minute, is grey is not that distinctive. Yeah, I mean personally, it's not not really my bag, but a lot of people liked it when it came out. Um, just fair enough. Um, I think you know it's obviously it's only you know we're only raising this now because it it really became problem. an issue um, on the weekend and. I don't know if if I think we can look too much into it, but you know, obviously, I don't think they're, they're going to do everything they can to try and avoid a repeat of this when the two teams meet again in January. So I thought so. Um, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to go about that because, like I said, the way I look at it, the, the only way they can do it is for the Blues to wear their their um, white kit, which is their third designated kit for Europe. You know, I don't know if there's commercial obligations to look at. You know. But ultimately, um, the spectators lost out on the weekend, and whenever that happens, you know it's done, it's, yeah. a, it's a bad thing. It's, you know, and yeah, something needs to be done. So let's talk about a bit of some of the rugby then. Um, yeah, it wasn't a great day in that sense either for the Blues. 
wasn't a great day for any of the regions, I don't think, was it? It wasn't, and it, you know, it was difficult. But well, this is this is why I said in the preview video I did for the Blues that you, you can never. I just I can't. I can never bring myself to trust the Blues because they're always one game away from doing something like this. Yeah. So they, they strung a number of wins together, and I was this close to saying, "Yeah, all right, the Blues are the real deal." And then they go and get absolutely tumped in the first half, and then it's irreparable damage. And you just think to yourself, if consistency has always been their issue, and it's still not been solved, and you know we can't use the kit as an as an example as as a reason for this because Glasgow had exactly the same issues. You know, you see Dave Rennie saying that Tommy Seymour was running the ball back, and he didn't know where the holes were because he didn't know who was on what side. So you know, it, it was the same for both sides. Uh, you know, they, they, so there's bigger problems to address there, and they've got to be bitterly disappointed with the way that game went. They had a, a big crowd there, chance to put on a show, and uh, you know that would have been a good win if they could have beaten Glasgow, yeah. good side, and and it was over within the first half, and it's just it's just disappointing really. But you know they've got to get back on the horse, pick themselves up, and try not you know t- to let their season fall apart, which in what's a difficult period now for all the regions with their, with their main stars away. This is going to be difficult for them to manage now, and and I've always said that when the Scarlets won the won the league a couple of years ago, they won it in these periods because the players that they brought in did a job, and they and they didn't drop many points, yeah. and it, it was a lot of unheralded players in that squad. So who came I, in and did ironically, jobs. that's why the Scarlets suffered last year is because mm. then those unheralded players were getting calls call ups. Yeah, exactly. And we look at what they've got now. So that obviously they're going away to South Africa to play the Kings. And, 19 and missing 19 players, you know, he's, there's injuries in there as well. But Wales call-ups, you know, that is really difficult to manage. Um, Definitely is. And obviously they got to bounce back after what happened in Europe. Did we see that coming? What was it? 45-27 against Leicester. I mean, they never, they never won at Welford Road. Mm. Um, and going into the game, you thought oh, they had a chance because Leicester have been no great shakes this season and. I think one of our colleagues, uh, Delby Parfit, tweeted at half-time, you know, if, Le- if the Scarlets had a full-strength squad, they- they'd put this Leicester team to the sword easily. Yeah. But they didn't, and to be fair, Leicester just... Leicester sort of rediscovered the sort of the game that sort of has seen them be at the top of English rugby for yeah. such a long time when they were, and that was just big, physical, abrasive, and then someone like Manu Tuolagi hitting his straps in the back, and it's just so hard to defend, and that along with what's going on at the Scarlets just sort of culminated in that sort of sort of perfect storm of a defeat. But yeah, it's an interesting one with the Scarlets because there's there's, a, there's, a, there's there seems to be a sort of fair few reasons. Obviously, you've got the injuries. Pivac leaving at the end of the season probably doesn't help things. Yeah. So there's sort of uncertainty about where they're going. We're at that point now as well where there's starting to become speculation about the man who's going to take over. Yeah, Stephen Jones's future is uncertain. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be, it seems to be seeping into the way they play as well. There seems to be an uncertainty about how they want to play the game. Mm. I, th- I don't know whether it's because Pivak is leaving at the end of the season. Clearly, they, they, you know, they've, they've lost players like Tyburn and John Barkley, and they've brought in like Blake Thompson and Casium. So they want they they want to move in a slightly different direction mm. to, to, to sort of combat the Leinsters and the Bath of this world that beat them last year. And it just it just hasn't clicked yet, and I don't think they've really found that rhythm. And 
maybe trying to change a game plan like that doesn't help when you know that your head coach is leaving in 12 months yeah I mean you look at to start with you looked at the two teams and you looked at the injuries the Scarlet's had before that game but you thought there was probably still enough quality in there and they could go up there and do something um, there's certainly enough quality in there you didn't expect them to concede 45 points no that's a start um, but yeah you, you looked at but at the same time you looked at that Leicester side and you thought there's a lot in there and there's a lot of weapons in that back line. Yeah. and like you say especially if they all fire you know it's it's warning you know alarm bells ringing isn't it but um, yeah it's a long way back for them now in Europe isn't it it definitely is you know they lost they lost their uh, opening two matches last year and they've only lost their opening three but they pulled it back against Benetton you yeah it's going to be a tough ask now because you've got a Ulster home and away who are you know yeah. it's not going to be easy then Leinster at Parker Scarlet then you've got to go to Paris to face Racing so it's, it's, it's a tough ask um, you know there was still the odd sign for the Scarlets the other night the opening try was just typical Scarlets in which it was just I think it was four phases face to the left flat ball face to the right block play face to the left repeat that first phase then again, only they vary it, and it, you know, just all it took was four phases, and they'd expose Dan Cole mm. just on his own. So you know that that's that's what the Scarlets can do. They can they can break down a defence from nothing. But yeah, they just they, they still need to learn how to sort of win these games, um, as was the case last week in the rain, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, this um, is, and the injuries aren't helping. Yeah, it's, it, it tends to be that level that the Scarlets about can they manage the wet weather thing. People will always look back to the Bath game last year and things like that. But you know, again, I think it's one of those things that maybe you can read too much into with the wet weather thing. But you know, like all that to one side. Yeah, like you said, can they pull the rabbit out of a hat again? We'll have to wait and see. It's not totally dead and buried yet because, like you said, they did it last time. But they've certainly made it difficult for themselves. Challenge Cup. Challenge Cup. Yeah, uh, I was at Rodney Parade. Um, Yeah, Dragons Northampton. Um, I felt like the Dragons' best hope in that game was to get up early on. Um, a bit like they did against the Blues in the derby and then you know I know they let that one slip away but if they, I felt like if they could get into that position again then they might ask a few more questions um, but it was a total disaster uh, from start to finish really uh, Northampton took an early lead Dan Bigger played quite well um, but the team's in the right areas and made a really good break for Alex Mitchell's try um, and, and they were the Dragons were twenty one nil down at half time as well. Um, they had men in the sin bin, and it was just it was one thing after another really. Uh, Josh Lewis had a difficult day at fly half. Um, fans uh, were as well, weren't they? Yeah, the fans were on him. I've had a bit of back and forth with Dragons fans this week about it. Um, basically, he, like I say, he didn't play well, um, and he struggled, and he, he hasn't played great for a while for, well for the last few games but um, so he missed touch um, twice uh, put a kick off out on the fall um, then fans started getting on his back so one fan shouted get Jason Tovey on obviously re- referring to the fact that Tovey's now training with him and and based on what Jackman said afterwards is every chance we're going to see him in the next few weeks in a dragon shirt again Um and then it was then Josh Lewis handed the kicking duties over to Jordan Williams. Williams found touch, and there was a really big sarcastic cheer in the Hazel stand. And it was probably the biggest cheer of the first twenty minutes, to be honest. And 
I didn't I didn't like it. Um, turned to turned to the one of our colleagues at another newspaper sat next to me and just sort of said, "Who who does that benefit?" Do you see what yeah, I like? I, from, I absolutely yeah. look. Don't get me wrong. Right, the dragons dragons fans have been through more than most and. They've had to deal with a lot. They turn up, and there's a lot to be said for you pay your money, you can voice your opinions, right? And 100% support that. And Dragons fans have, have been through a lot with this with this region. Um, and they're not getting what they'd hoped after the WIU takeover um, at the start of last season. You know, we were expecting to see improvements by now. And I know they've won a couple of games this year, but quite frankly, they're still losing games in that manner. And, you know, fans are getting pretty tired of it. 100% accept that and Josh Lewis is a professional rugby player he has to appreciate that he's in a, a privileged position um, that comes with pressure of course to perform um, and I, I'm sure he does accept that but I didn't think it was criticism though it, it was like a sarcastic and it was yeah. almost mocking him and he was he was obviously struggling for confidence and and I guess I, I'm able to take the emotion out of it Um Fans are obviously emotionally invested, um, which is probably why we come at it from two different standpoints. Um, but from a practical sense, I just thought it was a, a counterproductive thing to do. He went on to have a poor game. He was dropping passes, he was dropping high balls, and late on, then he had, he had to take over the kick in again, and he looked so nervous kicking the ball. And you're almost watching it then through through yeah. your fingers, thinking, oh. You know, goodness, what, what's he going to do it's next? Not, it's not a million miles away from the sort of treatment Reece Priestland had from fans. I think yeah. It was, was it the New, Ze- it was a New Zealand game about yeah, I mean, we're not, four years ago where he was getting sort of the same sort of sarcastic cheers for finding touch? Yeah, we're not, we're nowhere near the, the sort of realms of what Patchell, uh, sorry, Priestland, Priestland, yeah. Priestland received. And, uh, you know, I think most fans these days accept that you can't. You know that's not acceptable, and and it wasn't that on at Rodney Parade, nowhere near. Um, but you know, I can see why you why you look back to that um, because it was that was an example of fans having a negative effect on one of their own players. I I do wonder how much of an impact it had on Josh Lewis's performance because, um, like I say, he didn't play well. And if you're a player and you're getting that from your own fans. It, probably makes you tighten up a little bit probably makes you try a bit harder yep. probably too hard and then you're not playing with the freedom and, and you're not loose you're not relaxed and you know fly halves have got enough to deal with before all that but you know as I said and I said in the piece I wrote on uh, Saturday as well that fans have got a right to express opinions um, and they've, the Dragons fans have been through a lot but I think there's a way to do it Um I don't think that that was the right way to do it. I don't think it was beneficial for anyone. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, they they pay their money. They can express and exactly, and yeah. shout what they want. But okay. you know, that was my opinion on the on the whole uh, whole debacle. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, from a rugby point of view, the Dragons they got they got problems that need addressing. Um, and Jackman, <sighs> kind of like a broken record at the moment. Um, not not just Jackman, sorry, like the whole th- the whole thing. It is. Yeah. It's it's just the same thing, and you just when are they gonna when are they gonna do something to convince us that they are turning a corner? So you know they had players out, but they, Northampton was so comfortably the better side that 
you know, it was a no contest from early on, really. Yeah. And then uh, the Ospreys went down 27 21 at Worcester. Mm. A much changed Ospreys team. And that's the second time we've seen from Alan Clark this year. Rather than sort of, you know, minor change here, minor change there, he's played a strong team for a few weeks and then just flick of a switch, it's, it's, it's massive changes. And it, that, that, that seems to be Alan Clark's sort of yeah. way of playing this season. Yeah, I mean, it looks earlier on in the season, it looked like they were targeting their home games when they rested all those players for the Munster game. Yeah. Um, you know, you'd had your big names playing early on, your Norths of the world. Um, playing really well as well, you know people like North Luke Morgan on fire. Um, you had your you know Tipperick, Alan Wynn and all that playing in the home games, and then Munster away. Um, I think Morgan played, but a lot of the boys were rested for that one, and it did look like they were just focusing on their home games. And then you come to this one, obviously at six ways. Um, I think it was something like ten changes, and it was almost an, an unrecognisable fifteen, was, to yeah. be honest. You know, that's, I know, that's not meant to be derogatory because you know, at the end of the day, they lost by six points, and exactly, yeah. at one point in that game, they were a long way behind as well. So, there's obviously a lot of character there. Um, Alan Clark faced questions afterwards about whether or not he's devalued the tournament by doing things like this. Um, he argued, obviously, to the contrary. Um, these boys that he's used in that game are going to be needed in this period that we've talked about, um, coming up with all the Wales boys away. So they needed game time. Um, a lot of them did very well, to be honest. Uh, particularly second half. First half, I think they were a bit outgunned, but second half they came into it um, and made a bit of a, fi- a fight of it. Um, I don't know, what's your opinion on these teams? You know, this high overturning players in between games. Um, I mean, Europe's a different one because it's six games and you know you can, you can be gone after two games. But yeah. Pro 14, I think we've seen, you know, you look at Leinster, I mean, Leinster are a different animal, but Leinster, there's no need for them to pick their best players because you can you can, you can, can pretty much target a certain amount of games and get close to the playoffs from it. So, I, you know, I, I don't see... Yes, it probably devalues the competition that every game isn't as competitive as it should be, but yeah. if, if the Ospreys can reach the playoffs by, by picking and choosing their battles, that's only... Good for them, and that's that's the that's the first and foremost thing in yeah. Alan Clark's mind. I mean, look, right, the Ospreys' priority this season is the league. They want to get into the playoffs, um, and we'd probably be one of the first ones to criticise them if they don't do it. Yeah. So, Alan Clark's come up with a way that he thinks he can achieve that. So he's going to stick to it, and as long as they keep winning at home, and their star names keep producing, yep. and they keep winning convincingly like they have done uh, at the Liberty, then. He's going to be well within his rights to carry on with the same policy. I think the the pressure will come on if he if those results turn at home. Yeah. Um, because then it's a lot more difficult to to back up your reasons for doing this. But you know, for the time being, they want to they want to be in the playoffs. And and if and like you obviously got the NDC boys who can only play a certain amount of games, so you've got to be yeah, careful with that. Things, aren't you? So you know. I think as long as the Ospreys keep winning at home in the league, then then they'll they'll then Alan Clark can keep doing this. But I do understand the frustration of the Ospreys fans Definitely. as well. Yeah. Like they, they they obviously beat Poe quite easily in the first round, and you're thinking, you know, if if they put all their eggs in this basket, they could win the Challenge Cup. They are probably one of the better sides in it. Yeah. But you know, and obviously the Blues did it last year. 
But um, and if if you were travelling up to Worcester on the weekend, you wouldn't have been too happy with it. Not thrilled, no. If you were an Ospreys fan, so I can understand where their frustrations are. But I think they will all be happy if it results in the Ospreys making the playoffs yeah. at the end of the year. So yeah, that's my that's my uh, thoughts yeah. on it. I just got time for some predictions for this weekend. Okay, just quickly run through these games. So yeah, Scarlets are in South Africa with their. 19 unavailable yeah well the Southern Kings uh, you know how do you predict how do you predict that how do, come tough, on um, let's, let's be fair yeah. I mean you know that is a, a proper shot shot team. not shot to nothing but yeah. it's a shot in the dark I mean, last know. year the Scarlets went out to South Africa with a bit of a scratch night like Mike Phillips came out of retirement that's right yeah they ended up beating the Kings and losing to the Cheetahs but I think early form this year the Kings have probably looked yeah, capable Kings. Of, beat, of winning on their own patch, so it's like a tough it. one for the Scarlets. It is a tough one for the Scarlets, and you know, leave you know, nineteen players out. I don't care who you are, you're going to struggle. Um, but you know, when you give when you give youngsters a chance like this, you thought it might happen with the Ospreys on the weekend. Chuck them all in, give them a chance, and they might just surprise you. So we'll wait and see what comes of that. But it's difficult to. To predict uh, a Scarlet's win there, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they pulled it off. There we go, Ulster against Dragons, the Kingspan. Well, I mean, it, it's only looks one way, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, I I can't see the Dragons winning out there, um, but well, I don't even know why I'm saying, but I just can't see it. Um, Simple as that. It is, you know, based on what I've seen down at Rodney Prey recently, it's just. As soon as you take out key, you know the the key players in that side, yeah. and they're going to have even less now with Elliot D out, Corey Hill, Moriarty, who needs to perform, start performing in a dragon shirt, by the way. But you know that's a, probably another discussion for another day. But you know he's still quality. You've missed Harlem Amos, um, and obviously he's not there for this game. So it's that is a shot to nothing out there, and if they yeah. can get. Anything um, that's a positive, then it'll be a bonus, yeah. Osprey's hosting Connacht at the brewery field, yeah. Um, I'll probably feel a bit more comfortable back in the Osprey's to be honest. Um, James Huck seems to be enjoying life for the having a bit of a run at 10 at the moment, good, yeah. Good little spell. Um, so you know, I think they've got enough parts of their machine still intact, if that makes sense. Um, Despite the fact they obviously contribute a lot to the Wales squad, um, to 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 pull it off, um, the youngsters, like I said, second half against Worcester came back and and really sort of showed a little bit about them. So I think the, the Ospreys will probably be quietly confident about that one, um, and I wouldn't be too worried. Well, I wouldn't say too worried. I probably probably back them, but not confidently. Yeah. Okay. Maybe ten. How about ten to yeah, tentatively, yeah. And go. then uh, Cardiff Blues uh, are against the Toyota Cheetahs. Yeah, in, in South Africa. That's that's not an easy trip. No, few have made it successfully. Um, looks like they got there uh, far quicker than they did last year, which is uh, <laughs> that's always helpful. That is helpful. Um, you know they they've got they're gonna have a trouble outside half. Sure, they will. Because um, Jared Evans ain't getting on a plane uh, on Wednesday, so Nipper, 
Matthew Morgan. Oh god, it, it could be. Yeah. There, there could be other fly. Ben Jones, youngster. Yeah. Has he gone? It's difficult. We don't know what squad they've taken out there, but you know they they're definitely short there now. So, and that's obviously a key position. So, a lot will depend on how whoever plays in that role so manages it's it. Going to be interesting. Um, isn't it? You know they got the midfield there. You know, Lilo and Halaholo. Yeah. So there's quality, um, and they've got some other. Um, quality players across the back line so yeah you, you probably can't back them with any degree of confidence out yeah. there because even full strength that's a that's a difficult place to go and get something so if they get a, a losing bonus point or whatever out there take it and come back absolutely that's all we've got time for on the Welsh Rugby Podcast this week but as always uh, if you have enjoyed it give it a like give it a subscribe on iTunes and anywhere else you can find the podcast to be honest <laughs> Uh, and as always you can catch all the latest Welsh Rugby news on Wales Online